Hi, and welcome back to the Chutzpah Podcast, Chutzpah. where we interview change makers and visionaries in the Jewish community. I'm Hannah Dreyfus, a staff writer at the New York Jewish Week newspaper, and my co-host is... I'm Sharon Weiss Greenberg. I'm the executive director of JOFA, the Jewish Orthodox Feminist Alliance. I'm really excited to have Leah Kranz-Lipsker here today, who I met a couple of years ago. Um, and I'm just going to read you a portion of her impressive bio. Leah Kranzlipsker is the director of the Boston Aguna Task Force and creator of GetYourGet.com. I'm going to spell it for you so that you can go there and visit it. G-E-T-Y-O-U-R-G-E-T.com. A seasoned educator and mother of six, Leah is interested in the ways in which religious observance impacts the lives of women. Her journey as a Hasidic feminist, let that sink in, Hasidic feminist, Hasidic feminist, led her to her current position as a research associate for the Hadassah Brandeis Institute. Um, so excited to have you here. Thank you. Um, and there are so many questions to be asked. Um, I guess we should start with the obvious is what is GetYourGet.com? GetYourGet.com is a website that I created about, I don't know, I think 2012. Mm-hmm. And my goal was to try to educate both men and women about the Jewish divorce process. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of morphed into something else. So originally we were collecting information, just really basics, like what is a get? Where do you go to get one? There was no online listing of bait dens, period, anywhere. So it was just really more of an informational and educational website. And um, it, it sort of had a progression into what it is now, which is also an advocacy web ki- website that is... Um, trying to create a new solution for um, get refusal. So what made you decide to start the website? So um, I grew up in a Chabad family, Chabad mm-hmm. being a sect of Hasidism. Um, my mother is actually a direct descendant of the Baal Shem Tov, the, wow. the founder of the Hasidic movement. My father um, was a Baal Tshuva, someone who became religious um, as a teenager. But by the time I was born, they were um, Chabad emissaries in Richmond, Virginia, where I grew up. And um, I lived my life kind of with this real strong sense of sort of being of service to the Jewish community, you know, teaching, inspiring, you know, the Rebbe talked about it, my parents talked about it. And I just, I knew it's what I wanted to do with my life. I'm a teacher kind of at heart. And so um, I went out with my husband uh, 30 years ago to Swampscott, Massachusetts. We started a, uh, a community there. And um, my father sadly died when I was just, just pregnant with my first child. Um, he was only 50. He died of colon cancer. Mm. And um, over the years, I thought about him a lot, sort of as I took my own spiritual journey and thought about things that I was really passionate about. And one day I was, um, I had just had my twins. I had had a, a, some time on my hands afterwards. Uh, and I was just thinking about um, what he would say to my journey right now, and specifically to my um, ongoing struggle between um, my Hasidic upbringing, my values of, of feminism and pluralism, and and um, just you know about my children and their upbringing. So I was just thinking about him a lot right before his yard site, um, and suddenly a memory came to me—a memory that I had not never never thought of in in the 25 years since he had died, which is a conversation that I once had with him. I was probably 16 or 17. And he was telling me that he believes that there is a real crisis in the Jewish world because 
um, most Jews uh, who are not Orthodox don't know anything about get. And because um, a get is a Jewish is a, divorce, yeah. because a get is a Jewish divorce, and divorce is not something that certainly, uh, when I had this conversation 30 years ago, was something that really the Jewish community talked about in the open. Right. Um, people just knew that when you got married, you got married under a chuppah, and you know this is what you're supposed to do, even you know across all backgrounds and affiliations. But they got divorced in civil courts and really never thought about a get. And he mm-hmm. believed that it was a crisis that was going to affect. Um, children born to second marriages mm-hmm. who could be considered illegitimate in Jewish law if a get from the first marriage wasn't procured. Um, and he said to me, if I had the money, I would start a bumper sticker campaign. Because uh-huh. this was well before the internet. Um, and he would call it Get Your Get. And that's what he would do. Bumper wow. stickers, Get Your Get. And I literally got online that, that, that day and bought GetYourGet.com. You know, just registered it as a domain, thinking right. that I would continue his work. Um, I didn't do anything with it for a couple of years because I had newborn twins. But eventually, I um, partnered with the Hadassah Brandeis organization and mm-hmm. actually created the website as an education website for GET. So it's it, interesting. You started this not as, uh, just as an informative, like, did you know <laughs> that if you got married and you want to get married again, you got to get divorced in between? Like, yes. that's, that's what it was. Yes, and had nothing to do specifically with the Aguna movement, with you know, with my work right now as an advocate. Um, I didn't know very much about it. Um, we should I knew, tell people what an Aguna is. Yes. So um, the word Aguna is used now to mean any, really, a woman who is chained, that's what the word means, chained to a marriage that is really over. So they're essentially either divorced or separated. The marriage is clearly over, but they can't end the marriage Jewishly because a get, a Jewish divorce, requires participation from both parties. And a woman cannot do it if her husband is not in agreement. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't want to participate in the get process. So um, theoretically, he can't either. Yes, I actually want to get to that. Okay. Because I think that's the reason that I have moved away from that word and to really talk about it as get refusal or get abuse, mm-hmm. which which it really is. It's an it's a domestic abuse issue. It affects both men and women. Why isn't there a term for a an agoon? There is. Yeah. So I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Traditionally, um, Inaguna was someone whose husband was lost at sea or in other ways, and we just didn't know where the body was. And the only way that a woman can get out of a marriage is through a, um, a death or a get. And if you can't get either because your husband is, is not around and you don't know, you don't have any proof of the death, then we have a real problem. There was no such thing as women refusing to participate when a man said, I want a divorce. And the reason for that biblically is because he didn't really need her permission. He could just take a second wife. Um, with the Cherem of Rabbeinu Gershom, which is the, um, the end, which marks the end in the Ashkenazic world of polygamy, he added a sort of a little caveat. And he said, if men cannot take a second wife, we're a little concerned that they're going to just divorce women at will so that they can then, you know, have the woman that they really want. And so we're going to protect women a little bit. And we're going to say that a man cannot divorce a woman if she does not participate. In other words, he needs her um, to accept the get. And that was revolutionary, actually. But one, one issue is that women um, were, were really thought of as being protected through marriage. 
right? So it was unheard of to think, certainly in biblical times, but even Rabbeinu Gershom a thousand years ago, it was unheard of to think of a woman who might say, I want out of this marriage simply because I'm unhappy. Mm -hmm. It was just unheard of, right? Yeah. I mean, our modern concept of marriage for love and friendship and companionship is is so new in the relative scheme of history. And also you couldn't own property as a woman. Exactly. And let's not forget. Exactly. There's no agency, which which really um, is important when you think about the root of marriage within Judaism, the halachic roots. Right. It's a man acquiring a woman. And therefore, the chuppah and the kiddushin is really a one-way street, right? He, she doesn't, you can't, you can't marry a woman who doesn't want to marry you in Jewish law. You never could. A woman does have to consent to the marriage. But it is a one-way contract, if you will. Um, and therefore, in order to undo that contract, it's the man who has to release the woman mm-hmm. from the contract. Um, so Rabbeinu Gershom was very, very revolutionary. I would say he had incredible chutzpah in his time. <laughs> To be honest, really, yeah. I mean, to, to do this. And what he also did, and I'm sure you, you know this and many of your listeners do, is he threw in a little bone for men who were concerned about this takana. And what he said is, if there are women who are um, not of sound mind and who are not able or not willing to accept a get, we will put in a little dispensation or a little loophole. Yeah, loophole. Thank you. We will allow men to get around this because biblically the truth is they can take a second wife. So we will do something called a heter meir We'll get a hundred rabbis. You know, if you can get this, these signatures from these hundred rabbis of different cities, then the guy can just take a second wife and the woman, you know, will have a get or not have a get, whatever. Um, that worked for a while. Um, actually, it's pretty rare to get a heter meir today. You could. I understand it's for sale in some very orthodox communities, actually. I've never that personally seen it. That is an excellent it. story. Yes. <laughs> it is an excellent story. And it's very, very tragic. But what it means is withholding of a get or get abuse absolutely affects both men and women. But the consequences are much, much worse for women. And that's really that's really important to note, that there, a woman who remarries without a get has children who are considered illegitimate by Jewish law. And a man who marries without a get, his children are not affected because, again, biblically, it's just a second wife. Right. Um, in addition to that, a woman doesn't have this loophole, doesn't have any protection if a man simply refuses, and a man does. <sighs> okay. So I'm the executive director of the Jewish Orthodox Feminist Alliance, and um, I would say from the non-Orthodox community, there's a lot of questioning about why don't you just leave, and I would say this issue in particular, many people would say that it's an orthodox problem. Curious about your thoughts on that. Is it or should it be a a non-orthodox cause as well? So the answer to that is absolutely yes. And the reason is um, that of the divorces that I see, I work at the Boston Beit Din. Um, I help just facilitate divorces. In other words, there's really a need for a woman to be part of that process. You know, three rabbinim on a die. I mean, it's, it's a little intimidating, and especially women who have never come in contact with Rabbenim in the past. So um, in my in my years of doing that with an incredible group of Rabbenim in Boston, I was really shocked, actually, because I thought it was an Orthodox issue. And mm-hmm. I was really surprised to see how many women who are not Orthodox are coming to get a get. And they come to get gitten for many, many reasons. Mm-hmm. So someone might want to get, even though they're not Orthodox, because they're dating someone right now who's Orthodox. Mm-hmm. Someone might want to get 
um, because they're worried about where their children might end up. They might have a child who's becoming Orthodox. And we have many women who are not Orthodox who are looking for a get as a way to provide spiritual um, closure that a civil divorce just doesn't do. Hmm. I want to hear a bit more about your feminist awakening. Mm. When Mm -hmm. did you uncover uh, this fire? Hmm. I love that fire. Um, so I think, I think growing up within, um, you know, a very, very traditional Orthodox world, um, and Hasidic world, gender, gender roles were very, very, very specific, but yet, you know, I spent my life, my childhood in Richmond, Virginia, right? So it was kind of this weird, um, place to be. And I think I, the, the questions for me, theological questions on gender issues really came as a young girl. Um, I did have several conversations, you know, as a high school kid saying, well, why can't we do this and why can't we do that? But I think the first time that I was kind of challenged to really uh, say what I felt and, and kind of live my own truth on these issues, I think, was as a very young Rebbitzin, I guess. I was 22 years old. I had started a Hebrew school in Swampscott, Massachusetts, and I was asked about bat mitzvah services for the girls that we were that we were graduating from this program and it was just a moment of like I don't know if I had to fashion a bat mitzvah service what do I want it to be and I looked around within the Chabad world and most of the services well actually there were no services most of it it was just parties right with the girl who possibly did a Devar Torah but it was such a stark difference between what we were expecting from our boys and what we were expecting from our girls and I myself have four girls four daughters, two boys. And I, I, you know, personally, as well as professionally, I felt that the difference in what we expected from them at bat mitzvah and bar mitzvah and how we portrayed this coming of age ceremony of acceptance of mitzvot, either with seriousness or with, you know, a party. And it just really struck me as not okay. So um, that was, that was a moment for me because I um, started a bat mitzvah service for girls. Um, We did it on Friday night, and the Mm -hmm. girl led the Friday night service for women only. But it was filled with substance and with, you know, with davening and with with a lot of learning, a lot of preparation. And the girls that I was working with were largely from non-observant homes. But it was still a big deal to have a woman lead Friday night services in our shul, in our Chabad shul. Of course, it was for women only. We checked with with, you know, with rabbinic authorities. We were not doing anything that was um, problematic halachically, but it was still kind of against against the grain a little bit. And I certainly, you know, got a lot of flack for it. Um, I'm incredibly fortunate that I have a husband who has always supported um, um, supported me and really stood behind me. He's kind of a maverick himself in the Chabad world. Um, and together we, you know, we, we, we really created something that still going on actually at Chabad of Swampscott and that I'm incredibly proud of. But that was, I guess, my first real mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. where I had to kind of make a choice along gender issues. And um, when's the first time you came in touch with uh, get abuse? Great question. The first time I really saw it in a very personal way was with someone from the Chabad community who got divorced after a very, very short and abusive marriage and who could not get the get. The husband, um, his, her husband completely refused to participate. And eventually she had to buy her get for an amount of money that is absurd. 
that she didn't have, that she had to literally, you know, collect from relatives. And it was just, it was such an incredible heartbreak for me. But I, I did think of it as an orthodox issue. It didn't occur to me how widespread this was until I started Get Your Get, until I really got into people's lives. Women were you know, coming over to me and telling me their stories. And I began to notice a couple of things. One thing I noticed was that um, get abuse is the last piece of abuse in a marriage that is often filled with abuse from the beginning. So the story started sounding the same to me. He controlled me from the beginning. He didn't let me see my family. He didn't want me to, you know, to have these friends. And this is the last thing, you know, that a guy can do to control to control his wife's destiny. So what I found is is that it really was um, domestic abuse, and it really needed to be called out as domestic abuse. And that was the first um, change I think that we did on the Boston Aguna ta- Task Force is we started calling this by the name that it should be called. This is a religious issue, but it is also a domestic abuse issue, plain and simple. The other thing that I noticed is that it affects both men and women, something that was new to me. I had not seen that. And this is interesting because in the Orthodox world, it actually doesn't affect both men and women as much. So yes, there are some men that I know of in the Orthodox world whose wives refuse to participate. However, most women in the Orthodox world know that that's not a game they want to play, right? Because they know that they cannot get married without a get within within their worlds. And therefore, if they play that game, it can be played against them. So it's rare to find a woman in the Orthodox community that refuses to, to, to give a get, although I've seen it. But what's interesting is that in the wider community, there are many women who are refusing to participate in the get ceremony, knowing that they themselves are okay to get married without a rabbi. And they don't care about you know, the issue of mamzerut, it's not something they believe in. And so there's a lot more women who are, who are um, inflicting this pain on their husbands who do want it. And they're like, I, I, I don't really have anything to lose here. I had an example, um, my, one of my first experiences uh, with, in, in the Boston area, a woman was refusing to participate in the get. And the Boston Bait didn't ask me to speak to her. You know, that's part of what I do. I try to speak to both men and women and, and, and really kind of talk to them about the importance of get and, um, and, and not, not withholding a get. And this woman, you know, I met her in a Starbucks, you know, in Brookline, and she started telling me her story about an abusive marriage and how her husband um, cheated on her. You know, story, unfortunately, we hear uh, a lot in the world that we work in. in. And she says, you know, now he wants a get. All of a sudden now he's concerned about his religion, <laughs> you know, abusing his wife wasn't a problem for him. Having an affair wasn't a problem for him. Um, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not doing this. And, you know, it was hard. It was really hard for me to, to say to her, you know, nobody should withhold a get when a marriage is over, um, no matter what. But it was hard. It was a hard thing for me to say. And I said, you know, this is, this is your life and you need to sort of make this decision. But um, th- that is something that we're seeing more and more. Women who are saying, I'm just not going to participate in this because the guy that wants it doesn't feel like someone who really respects all of Judaism. Mm, mm-hmm. Interesting. So touching on a different angle of the issue of, of get abuse and get refusal, in the more modern Orthodox community, the halachic prenup, which is a prenuptial agreement signed before a couple gets married, is being presented as the solution to this problem. And if only 
all couples would agree to signing this document before marriage, the get refusal epidemic, if we can call it that, would cease to exist. Can you speak to that based on your experiences working very closely on this issue? Absolutely. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for the women and and men, both rabbis and activists who created the prenup. Um, I work closely with Rachel Levmore, who was one of the writers of the prenup in Israel, who's an incredible Aguna activist and, and scholar. Um, but I think that the the assumption that we can solve this through the prenup is simply false. And there are many reasons for that. Number one, a decade later, later, more than a decade later, only a tiny segment of even the Orthodox community is signing it. So it's ridiculous to talk about a solution when 10 years later, we have not gotten the Jewish world to sign on. And that is with the assumption that if you sign it, you're good to go. And I'm not so sure that's true either. In Massachusetts, we convened a group of lawyers and judges that helped us um, create what we are calling Get Ready, which is a solution that moves beyond the prenup. And it tries to engage divorcing couples, not marrying couples. Divorcing couples to say, look, you can add a clause into your divorce agreements and that will help prevent get abuse. And the reason we did that is because when we gathered these lawyers and judges together, our initial question was, how can we make sure that the prenup is signed by more people? But I have to tell you something. When they took a look at the prenup, they said, this would never be upheld in a court in Massachusetts. There is no financial disclosure here. Um, and this is just not a prenup that would be upheld. Now, it was upheld in, was it New York? I believe so. Yeah. So I don't think that we can say that it can't work. I think there's no question that it would be wonderful if every single marrying couple would sign it. I think it's been used um, effectively as a preventative measure. I think people think it can be enforced. And if people think it can be enforced, they're less likely to engage and get abuse. But I, I absolutely feel strongly Plus that no if... Effect. Yes, that's right. I absolutely feel that if the Jewish community is holding on to the notion that this is our solution, we're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. And and that, of course, also doesn't speak to the myriad of couples who were married before this or didn't know about it. So the one thing that when you and I first spoke like, a number of years ago, you told me how there are all these people who are pretty much unaffiliated and they just Google whoever's the closest rabbi and it's often an Orthodox rabbi. And so they're getting married with an Orthodox marriage, but no halachic prenup. Yes. I actually was talking to you specifically about um, Chabad rabbis Correct, who yeah. are um, very, very, uh, very active on campuses. And I think I'm sure there are others. But my, you know, this has been my experience is that they are Orthodox rabbis marrying um, men and women who are not Orthodox. And therefore, God forbid, when there is a, you know, if, if that happens, if there is a divorce, um, these people are, 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 are not getting a get and there was no halachic prenup signed. So yes, I think that the halachic prenup only works for people who sign it. The notion that we can do post-snups has not has no basis, I don't believe, in, um, in law. I don't think that those are going to be held up anywhere. So I think we have, a, we, have, we have to begin to talk about new solutions. And Get Ready, I believe, is um, an incredible 
an incredible solution that really has worked in Massachusetts and I believe can work in other states. I think it needs to be tailored. Get Ready is a very, very exciting um, new venture, new project that the Boston Aguna Task Force is launching in connection with JOFA. We're so excited to be uh, partnering with JOFA in getting this word out. And what we're trying to say is, look, if you signed a prenup, if you didn't sign a prenup, right now you're in the middle of getting a divorce. You need to worry about a get as you're going through your civil divorce. What we found is, is that the myth out there is that finish your civil divorce and you'll worry about the get afterwards. But that is an incredible mistake. And the reason is, is that, of course, the Rabbanim, the, the rabbinic courts, they really don't have any teeth. They can't really help if someone says, I refuse to participate. But the civil courts do have teeth. And so if we get the um, get out of the way before the civil court, the civil process begins, we take it off the table as a negotiating tool, number one, most important. And number two, if somebody does not follow through and, and, and do the get within a certain amount of time after the civil is over, the courts actually have some actions that they can take. And the get ready um, committee that we put together of, of Rabbanim, Rabbi Clapper, an incredible, insightful rabbi who is on the um, Boston Beit Din and also a member of the Boston Aguna Task Force and lawyers and judges, what we wanted to try to come up with was a solution for get abuse that will work both with church and state issues in the civil courts Mm -hmm. and with all kinds of rabbinic issues because coercion um, is a serious issue that could invalidate a get. Right, So we want to make sure that the language that's inserted into a divorce agreement, a divorce or separation agreement, is valid language that will work in both court systems. And that's what we did in Massachusetts. I'm going to ask you about, in terms of your work, ForgetYourGet.com, is that a source for people solely in the state of Massachusetts, America, international? Who, who, who is this helpful for? So I think that um, the draft language that we have on the website right now will be um, most helpful to Massachusetts residents. However, we really believe that if you take that draft language to your lawyer in any state in this country and you can say, look, this is going to be a problem for me, or I don't know if this is going to be a problem for me, but having a get is important for me. I'd like to put it in, um, in in the agreement. I'd like you to use this language as a basis for the kind of language we need. And the lawyers can then advise their clients on perhaps some changes that might that might work particularly in their state. And so, then they should share that with you. And then, exactly. <laughs> and it is our work to try to get more draft language that is um, particular, for example, to California or to Baltimore or to other large com- um, Jewish communities. As you know, the um, New York community has been helped by the get law. There is no get law anywhere else. Um, we are actually talking with the Muslim community in Boston, because we believe that in order to get get laws passed, we need to form partnerships with other religious communities Mm -hmm. so that there is an understanding that this is not just about Jews. Um, And the Muslim community has similar issues. Mm -hmm. The Mar is a document similar to the Ketubah. There are various ways that a Muslim man can divorce his wife. And um, some of this really plays into the same question of how do we ensure that people cannot get divorced in this country without making sure that their spouse can remarry in, in, in a religious ceremony. So now, now we understand how everyone living in the United States can be beneficiaries of your work. Um, what about abroad? 
So um, when I started GetYourGet.com, I, I initially partnered with Rachel Levmore, who is um, part, I think, the director of the Young Israel Aguna movement, I forget what it's called. And she is, um, she's actually on the committee for electing Dianim in Israel right now. So she's very, very involved. And she and I collaborated on um, one of the parts of the website that has been the most successful, and that is kind of an ask your question and get an answer within 24 hours, like a, a someone like a who hotline. is yeah, like a hotline, yeah, like an online hotline where a get expert can answer questions, and those questions come in from all over the world. So when the questions are related to the get process in Israel, mm-hmm. which is of course you know its own its own bag of worms, I mean its own complicated, um, those questions are referred to Rachel and she answers them. When we go, get questions um, from outside of Israel, Rabbi Clapper is answering them. Um, and uh, what we found is that there is some some overlap. So I was um, at the Beit Din once, and there was this woman who came in. She was actually Israeli, like born and bred, and she was living in Israel, and she came to get her get. And I said to her, I'm a little confused, right? So she says, well, um, not, not Orthodox. In fact, um, very upset about the the Haredi uh, um, control of the of marriage and divorce in Israel. She said, I refuse to work with the Israeli Rabbanut. I've had bad experiences there. I need a divorce so that I can start getting alimony payments. Um, I need something that says that I have a Jewish divorce. I was told that the Boston Beit Din is a compassionate, warm, yeah. open um, place that, that I can get a get, and it will be recognized in Israel. And therefore, I got on a plane and I flew here. Wow. It's amazing and disturbing, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I think it's sad, and I think Israel needs to, needs to really come up with some kind of uh, civil marriage and divorce before this gets any worse. Absolutely. So I want to talk about your chutzpah streak. Um, what does chutzpah mean to you? And when did you realize that you had a little bit of healthy audacity. I think chutzpah is the um, conviction that someone has when they say, look, this is my belief system. I see a need in the world. It doesn't matter to me what other people say necessarily. In the Orthodox world, there are, there are boundaries of halacha, but outside of those boundaries, um, I'm going to do what I need to do to make the world a place that I want my children to grow up in. Um, my journey has not been without its own pain. <laughs> um, like I said, I, I'm incredibly fortunate to have a, a very supportive family. But, you know, when people when you do things people don't like, they're not um, holding back. <laughs> what are some of the responses you get um, when you introduce yourself as a Hasidic feminist? <laughs> Um, kind of a very strange, <laughs> a very strange eyebrow. Like, does that exist? <laughs> right? What does that mean? I think that there is a growing understanding in the world, and I, I just am so excited to be alive and and you know working in this in this um, atmosphere that people don't have to make choices. People don't have to identify as this or as that. People are not so one-sided. Mm-hmm. And um, my Hasidic upbringing has given me some of the richest parts of my life, um, a Judaism that is meaningful and warm. I think there's a certain spirit in the Hasidic world that I, I can't imagine not, not having in my life. Um, the, the Rebbe, who was my first spiritual mentor without any question, 
um, I think really I, I would say inspired me to, to a life of service and to, um, to the Rebbe really believed that every person should, should change the world in ways that are personal, that you only can really work in ways that you feel passionate about. And um, I think amongst Chabad, um, Chabad rabbis and rebbitzins, people really are doing interesting things. So the work that I do doesn't necessarily represent um, the Chabad movement at all. It's, it's my version of, of making a difference in ways that are important to me. Um, I, have, I have to say that um, a moment that I remember very clearly is my first Jofa conference. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, I have to say. Even just going to a Jofa conference, right, was something and, uh, that, right, that, uh, that raised plenty of eyebrows. Um, and it was, it was an incredible experience for me. I can't even remember when it was anymore. It was probably your first. But um, I remember Tamar Ross, as she had a, a session on Kol Isha. And she talked about Kol Isha in terms that I had never thought of, about um, inhibiting women's voices, um, or, or allowing women's voices to be heard. And I, and I just, you know, was, I was a young mother and thinking about my own four daughters. And it was really a moment of, um, of conviction. And uh, I guess you might call it chutzpah, a belief that, um, that women can really step out, step out of traditional roles, step out of um, sort of well-defined areas within Judaism. And uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very exciting time to be Hasidic and and feminist and orthodox. I think it's holy work that you're doing. I'm thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask one last question. We're running out of time. Um, how do you hold some of the anger and the pain that comes from getting up close and personal with the very difficult situations caused by get refusal and caused by the restrictive nature of Jewish law. How do you hold that? How does that live alongside your religious practice? Um, I think it's part of a wider struggle of a commitment to uh, an observant Jewish life and an understanding that that is not always going to work with my um, feminist ideals and an acceptance that this is going to be a life lived somewhere in a gray area. But I also will say that my, my moments of, of just such joy are when a get is finally granted in some of the cases that I work with. And to see that, um, that there is a real spiritual closure that happens at that moment. I actually had an experience with a woman who was not observant at all, and she brought along um, her rabbi, a woman who is a woman rabbi, um, Rabbi Sharon Clevenger, who's just an incredible woman, and she has gotten involved in our in our get work, and she's the one who actually pointed out to me in in really articulate ways that we have um, we have rituals around mitzvahs in general in Judaism that are not necessarily joyous. They're sad, right? There's a ritual around death, and the rituals a mitzvah doesn't necessarily mean that something wonderful and happy is happening. It means that there is something important happening that Judaism has a, has, has a way of impacting. Our religious life has a way of enriching and making meaningful and, and healing. And so I think that in somewhat in the same way that the Kaddish and the morning rituals um, 
really kind of inject a certain meaning and relevance and, and, uh, you know, dignity dignity and into something that a moment that's very sad. I have witnessed that so many times with the healing process that happens around get, um, in the ceremony itself. And I think we forget that a, a get is a mitzvah. Mm-hmm. We forget that um, that there is a positive way of ending a marriage. There is a Jewish way of ending a marriage. There's a Jewish way into a marriage and a Jewish way out of a marriage. And for me, that's been um, you know the reward of all of this is just to be a part of that process. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. You're so welcome, and thank you so much for helping us to uh, promote Get Ready and yeah. to really to really um, continue the conversation on get get abuse in the Jewish community. So if you know if you have a friend or a colleague or whoever who is getting a divorce, considering getting divorced, that's the best time to direct them to getyourget.com. Till then, keep having chutzpah. <laughs> chutzpah. This episode of the Chutzpah Podcast was recorded by Shira Hanau and edited by Rebecca Honig-Friedman. Our theme music is by Glazer Drive. The Chutzpah Podcast is a joint project of Jofa and the New York Jewish Week. You can listen on iTunes, SoundCloud, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please remember to subscribe. And if you like what you hear, please consider giving us a positive rating.